Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, looked the other way. He was despised. We did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Well, good morning again. It's so good to see all of you here worshiping with us. As you know, our church, we have four locations and nine weekend services. So I am so thankful that you got out in the rain and are a part of this worship service here today. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Wallister. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale. And today I get the privilege of sharing with you the greatest story ever told. It's called The Passion of Jesus Christ. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write more about this event than any other event in the life of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, in all of his writings and letters, he never once mentions one of Jesus' miracles. He never mentions one of Jesus' parables, but yet in every letter, he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. You see, what we're going to talk about today, the passion of Jesus Christ, is the central event in all of history. The entire Old Testament points to this event. It's in mind whenever you have Adam and Eve who they have sinned and God has to kill an animal to clothe their nakedness. This is in view whenever you have Abraham about to sacrifice his only son Isaac, and God provides a ram in the thicket. Whenever you have, you know, the Passover lambs for hundreds of years, and and every sacrifice that was ever made in the Day of Atonement, all those thousands of sacrifices in the Old Testament, they all point to this day. They all point to Jesus' passion. When Jesus was born, the angel said, he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 30 years later, the forerunner, John the Baptist, points to Jesus Christ and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, when he was asked, Why did you come? Jesus said, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, a payment for the many. You see, everything in the Bible, everything in Jesus' life was all pointing to this simple fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place and for our sin. Now, we've all heard this before. I mean, but we've, we've heard about this thing that Jesus dies for our sins, but for a lot of us, it's like the Pledge of Allegiance. We, we know the words, but they no longer have any meaning. And so today... 
I want you to hear this story again as if it's the very first time you've heard it. I want you to lean in and allow your heart to take in everything that Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. Today's sermon is not so much a sermon, it's more of a retelling. A retelling of the greatest story that's ever been told. The death of Jesus Christ in our place. His passion. Now folks, this is holy ground. And for us to enter in and even think about and contemplate about what Jesus has done for us, we need our hearts prepared. And so I want you to bow your head, humble your heart before the Lord, and I want us to pray and ask God to speak to us today. Lord God, I'm so thankful for this moment. It's not coincidental that each person is here right now hearing these words. But Lord, I confess my words are frail and insufficient to really declare what you've done for us. And so, Lord, would you speak? Would you stir every heart, every mind, every soul that we would fully and truly grasp the passion of Jesus Christ today? We ask that you'd speak. Move me out of the way so that we can hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the passion of Jesus Christ begins actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then comes Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples. He's given a signal to this horde of soldiers, whomever I kiss, grab him. And so he then betrays Jesus Christ with a kiss, and immediately Jesus is arrested by the soldiers. The disciples flee, run for their lives, and then Judas, overwhelmed for the guilt of what he has just done, goes off and hangs himself. He commits suicide. And then Jesus is taken to the religious leaders, and thus begins the passion of Jesus Christ. And it's really three elements of the passion of Christ, and you can jot them down on your outline today. The very first one is this. It is the trial. The trial. In the next eight hours, Jesus is going to stand before six different groups, and he will be questioned and tried. The very first one is before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. They take him to Caiaphas' house, that's the, um, the high priest, and he is questioned there. Now, remember, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. The religious leaders have already paid for these false witnesses, and yet their testimonies don't even agree. The fix is already in, and so what do they do? They condemn Jesus Christ to death. But the only problem is, is that everything they've done is illegal. It's against the law to hold, you know, trial in the middle of the night. And so they dismiss, wait for the sun to come up, and then they assemble again, and then it's just a formality. They condemn Jesus Christ to death. The only problem is, is that the Jewish leaders, they can't execute Jesus. They need the Romans to do that. And so they immediately go to the governor's house. His name is Pilate. Pilate is a bloodthirsty man and normally just, you know, capitulates and does whatever the religious leaders want him to do. But this morning seemed to be a little different. Notice what the Bible says. They come in Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. It's probably 7 o'clock in the morning. They may have even woken Pilate up. And normally, he just rubber stamps whatever they say. But this time, they come and they say, this man is deserving of death. But Pilate asked them a question that they were not expecting. He asked, what's his crime? And they're a little frustrated with that. And they go, well, 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 if he wasn't guilty of death, we wouldn't have brought him to you. 
Well, what's his crime? And so they come with three accusations against Christ. It's found, look at it in Luke chapter 23, verse 2. And they begin to accuse him. And they came with these three accusations. The very first one is that Jesus is leading a revolt, which everyone knew wasn't true. The the second one was, okay, Jesus is telling people not to pay taxes when it was already on public record that Jesus had said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar. And then the third one was this. He claims to be a king. Now, Pilate had to pay attention to this third charge. Why? Because the Roman law said, if anybody claims to be a king other than Caesar, they are to immediately be put to death. And so Pilate does something unusual. Pilate brings Jesus into his inner chamber. He brings him into his personal residence. He knows the religious leaders won't follow them in. Why? Because going into the home of a Gentile, they would be considered unclean. And so what happens? (laughs) Okay, he comes in. And he asked Jesus that simple question, are you a king? And Jesus said, is that what you believe or somebody told you that? And he says, well, your very own religious leaders have turned you over to me. Are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would fight. I have come to testify of truth. And so Pilate knew He's a religious leader. This guy's not guilty. He's not trying to be a king. And so he comes out before the religious leaders, and he makes this declaration. Look at it in Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no fault in this man. Now, the religious leaders, they go hysterical. They can't believe it. I mean, their plan's not working out. And so they make this statement. He claims to be a king, and if you are a friend of Caesar, you would kill him. Now, that little phrase, friend of Caesar, was a legal term. And Pilate knew that the religious leader was going to back him against the wall. And so he comes up with another plan. He's like, okay, I know Jesus is innocent, and I'll try to get him released. I know what. I always, during the Passover, I always release a prisoner. And that's his plan. Look at it. It's found in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. The Bible says this. At the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. Pilate said, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? So Pilate's got these two notorious prisoners, right? You got Jesus, who's called the Christ. I mean, he's adored by the people. I mean, just a few days earlier on Palm Sunday, they were going, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you've got Jesus or you've got Barabbas. You go, who's Barabbas? Well, Barabbas was a thief. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas actually did lead an insurrection against the Roman Empire. In fact, Barabbas was on docket to be crucified that day. He was to be crucified for his crimes. And so Pilate's thinking, oh, surely if I bring them the option between Jesus and Barabbas, they're going to obviously choose Jesus. And so he says, who do you choose, Barabbas or Jesus? Well, little did he know the religious leaders had gotten among the crowd, and they said, choose for Barabbas, yell for Barabbas, yell for Barabbas. And he says, who do you choose? And the crowd goes, give us Barabbas, release Barabbas to us. And Pilate is dumbfounded, he can't believe it, and he goes, what should I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? Crucify him, crucify him. Why? Why? The most innocent man that's ever walked the face of this earth, even Pilate himself says that he's innocent, is now going to be condemned. Why? Well, jot this on your outline. Here's why. Jesus was declared guilty so we could go free. 
Jesus was declared guilty so you and I could go free. You see, Barabbas was to be crucified. Jesus took Barabbas' place. You in this story, you're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. I'm the guilty one, and so are you. You're the thief, you're the liar, you're the murderer, you're the one who has the rebellious heart, and Jesus Christ has taken your place so you could go free. Look at how the apostle Peter puts this in 1 Peter 3, 18. He says this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. In your outline, circle the righteous for the unrighteous. See, Jesus made a trade. Jesus took all your rottenness and he gave you his righteousness. Jesus took all your badness and he gave you his goodness. That's what Jesus Christ did. Imagine it like this. Imagine that you're on a plane and it gets hijacked. And the terrorist decides he's going to make a public display of their hatred of, of us. And so what does he do? He takes you. And he takes you out on the tarmac, and he's about to execute you. And just before he executes you, someone jumps in front of the, the, the gun and says, No, 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 don't kill him. Don't kill her. Kill me in their place. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. Now, I don't know if anybody else would love you like that, but i got to tell you something. Jesus Christ loves you like that. Jesus Christ says to the Father, Father, you punish me in their place. I will take their place. And so here's Pilate, who knows that Jesus is innocent, and his one plan, Barabbas, has now gone free. And so what does Pilate do next? Well, Pilate decides, okay, I know what I'll do. Rather than having him condemned and killed as crucifixion, I will have him scourge, which is the second part of the passion of Christ. Jot this down. It's called the scourging. The scourging. You see, Pilate believed in his mind that by having Jesus scourged, that would actually save Jesus' life. That they would see Jesus being scourged, and that would satisfy their vengeful jealousy, and Jesus would go free. You see, rarely, if ever, did anyone experience a scourging and a crucifixion. In fact, Jesus is the only recorded person that we know of that experienced both a scourging and a crucifixion. Typically, it was one or the other. Both were a type of punishment. And so Pilate's thinking, okay, I'm going to scourge Jesus. That will satisfy them, and then Jesus will go free. And so he sentences Jesus to a scourging. We find that in John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, the Romans called a scourging a half-death. What they had is they had something like this, is a cat of nine tails. It was a whip. Actually, the leather straps were about four feet long, and tied into them were metal or glass or bone or something like that. And they would beat the victim with something like this. Now, what they would first do is they would strip the clothes off a person, and then they would tie him up to a pole so he couldn't go away. That's what they did with Jesus Christ. And you had two people that would do this. They're called lictors. And they would exchange. They'd go back and forth. One would be on one side, and one would be on the other. And then one person would beat them, and then the other person would beat them. Now, the Jews had a law that you could only beat somebody 39 times because 40 lashes would kill someone. The Romans had no such law. And so what they would do is they would start beating someone. 
First came the bruises, and then the whelps, and then the gashes, and then the blood, and then Jesus' flesh is literally just dangling there. Now, normally, when someone is experiencing this scourging, the pain is so intense that they pass out. And so, whenever a person passes out, what they do is one of the lictors is medically trained. He would fill the pulse of the victim, and if he still had a strong pulse, they would then take salt water, throw it over the wounds, wake the person up, and they would begin again. And then after the person passed out a second time, they would then stop. But here's the amazing thing about our Lord. He never passed out. He never passed out. So they just kept beating him and beating him and beating him till they were finally fatigued. Now, because of their frustration and hating of Jesus Christ, they decided that they're going to make their mockery complete. They, they take a robe from a centurion soldier, soldier, a scarlet robe, and they put it on Jesus' back. And of course, it immediately adhered to his, his you know, bloody back. And, and then they um, take a crown of thorns... And then they weave it together, these thorns, and they make a crown, and they slam it into Jesus' head. And then they take a rod, and they put it in Jesus' hand. And they kneel down, mocking Jesus. They go, hell, king of the Jews! And then they grab the rod, and they smash it on Jesus' head. And the next soldier would come and go, hell, king of the Jews! And then they grab the rod and smash it on Jesus' head again. The irony of that moment is that Jesus is the king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. The gospel of John says that Jesus Christ knew that the father had put all authority into his hands. He could have at that moment called for a thousand angels to rescue him. Think about it. Here's the one who walked on water. Here's the one who commanded demons. Here's the one who hushed the wind and the waves. Jesus Christ had all authority to stop the pain and the punishment, but he doesn't. Why? Because he intensely loves you. That's why. Why did he do it? Well, jot this on your outline. Jesus was beaten so we could be healed. Jesus was beaten so that we could be healed. Every one of us have sin-sick souls. And we have sin-ravaged bodies. And the only way that our souls are ever healed, the only way that our bodies are ever made whole, is through the beating of Jesus Christ. Look at how the Bible puts this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, and by his wounds you have been healed. And so Jesus endured the scourging. And after Jesus had been beaten, literally within an inch of his life, they bring him back to Pilate. And here's Jesus. The Bible says that he is beaten beyond recognition. And Pilate sees Jesus beaten like that, and he thinks that, okay, this will satisfy them. This will be enough. Their vengeful heart will be satisfied. And so Pilate looks at Jesus and says, behold the man. And what does the crowd do? They yell, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate is dumbfounded. He's like, why? What evil has he done? And they said this, we have a law. That if anyone claims to be God, they are worthy of death. He claims to be the son of God. Now, Pilate's not a believer. 
but he did live in a polytheistic world. He believed that there could be many gods, there could be many demigods, and he didn't want to be killing some demigod. And so he brings Jesus back into his residence, and he looks at Jesus, and he goes, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus doesn't answer him a word. And then Pilate says this, don't you know I have the authority to take your life away from you? Listen to the presence of mind of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, you would have no authority at all if it had not been granted to you by my Father who's in heaven. And so here's Pilate. He knows Jesus is innocent. And so what does he do? He comes with a bowl of water. And he washes his hands in front of the people. And he says, this man's blood is not on my hands. And the religious leaders, they say, his blood will be on our hands and on our children. They literally pronounced a curse on themselves. And so Pilate said, okay, and he condemns Jesus to die by crucifixion, which leads to the final point of the passion of Christ. Jot that down, the crucifixion. The crucifixion. The condemned person that's going to be crucified, they have to carry their cross through the streets of Jerusalem to the outside. Now, in order to do that, they first have to rip off that robe, that robe that has adhered to Jesus' bloody back. And whenever they tear that robe off, it's like tearing off a huge bandage off of a wound. And then they take this, 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 this huge beam. It weighs about 75, maybe 100 pounds. And they strap it to Jesus' beaten back and tie his hands up like this. And then they take a rope and they put it around Jesus' waist and they lead him through the town. You go, why a rope? Because crucifixion was such a horrific death that even with somebody with a beam on their back would try to run away. And so they literally led Jesus through the streets like a dog. Now remember, Jesus has been beaten within an inch of his life. And so he's barely putting one foot in front of another as he was walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And apparently the soldiers must have pulled on the rope a little too hard and Jesus comes crashing down. He can't stop himself and his face plants there into the pavement. Now, now the Roman soldiers know that they got to get Jesus crucified quickly. A crowd is gathering. Women are weeping, crying out to Jesus as he's walking through the streets. And so they, they force a man nearby to help carry Jesus' cross. His name is Simon of Cyrene. In the book of Romans, we find out that he and his sons eventually come to faith, which is amazing, another story. But he helps Jesus take the cross up to Calvary. And what do they do next? Well, that's where he's crucified. Look at it. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. The place of execution is a rock that was in the shape of a skull. Here's a picture of it. And what did they do? Once they got there, they then um, threw Jesus on his back and they took um, nine, I mean, um, five-inch nails. And they were more like spikes than this. And they drove into Jesus's, um, you know, hands and right here between the, you know, metatarsal bones and on either side. And then at Jesus's feet, they put them together like that and drive the nails between both feet. And then after they had done that, they then lift Jesus off the ground. And there he is literally hanging between heaven and earth. That is a person crucified. It's one of the most horrific deaths known to man. We know what a person endures during crucifixion because the Nazis actually conducted experiments during their death camps. 
We learn that it is a long, excruciating, painful death. People don't die from the nails in their hands. No, what they die from is asphyxiation. You see, what happens is, is that whenever you're dangling on the cross, your diaphragm is compressed and you can't breathe out. You can breathe air in, but you can't breathe air out. And so in order for you to breathe, you have to push up on your legs and on pull with your arms. Of course, the nails, they're right by the median nerve, and so it's like electricity going through your body every time you do this. And so you lift yourself up just to breathe. And then you can't take the pain anymore and you go back down again. And you do this. And this can last for hours, if not days. And in fact, if the Romans wanted to be merciful, what they would do, they'd break people's legs so that they would literally choke to death and asphyxiate so that the death would not last so long. Jesus died before they did that, of course. And so here's Jesus Christ dangling between heaven and earth. He's crucified. It's the most horrendous death known to man, but apparently that wasn't enough for the crowd. It's almost like they're saying, okay, we've crushed his body. Now let's crush his spirit. And they start mocking Jesus. Jesus, work a miracle. Come down off the cross. If you come down off the cross, then we'll believe. Which is interesting. It's a very similar words that Satan spoke to Jesus in the desert, in the temptation. Work a miracle and everybody will believe. You know what Jesus, how he responded to their mocking? He kept saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. But then at high noon, what Jesus endured next was the greatest pain at all. Uh, the, the pain of the crucifixion pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ endures next. The Bible says that all across the land, it became dark. This darkness was recorded all the way to Rome. Darkness always represents the judgment of God on sin. And so suddenly, for three hours, everything is dark. The Bible tells us what was going on during that time. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us in that moment of time. What does that mean? That means every sin, every crime, every, um, every um, act of unkindness, every secret sin, every murder, every theft, every lustful look, every moment of pride, every monstrous deed, every hidden vice, all sin by all of humanity, male, female, children, everyone who's ever sinned or ever even thought of sin, all that guilt, all that shame was placed on Jesus Christ. In that microcosm of time, Jesus literally became our sin and bore the consequences of our sin. Notice how the prophet Isaiah puts it. 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus, before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah predicts what's going to happen to the Messiah. Look at it. Isaiah 53, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
your rap sheet and mine, all the moral laws we've ever broken, were placed on Jesus Christ, nailed to Jesus. Every secret sin, every shameful sin, everything you've ever done was placed on Jesus Christ, and Jesus literally became sin and all the punishment for sin in that moment. Now, God the Father is holy. And the Bible says that God is of such pure eyes he can't even look upon sin. So in that moment, God the Father looks away from his sinful son. And somehow it's like the Godhead has been split and Jesus in that moment feels totally alone and he cries out with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for those three hours in that microcosm of time, Jesus Christ took all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame, everything you've ever done, he took the punishment for it all. And then after that three hours, the darkness lifted. And Jesus said these words, I thirst. And immediately a man brought a sponge up to Jesus' mouth that he could drink something. Now, it's interesting, why is Jesus asking for something now? He had refused to drink earlier in the crucifixion. The reason why he wants something to drink now is because there's a word that he wants to say. Heaven and earth for millennium have been waiting for this to be declared. And so as soon as he takes the drink, the, Jesus then cries, the Bible says, with a loud voice, it is finished. It's one Greek word, tetelestai. Tetelestai, it is finished. You go, what does that mean? I mean, it literally means paid in full. There's been archaeological finds where they've seen receipts with this stamped on it. Paid in full. Debt has been paid for. All of your sin, all of my sin, all the sin and debt of all of mankind, every one of us, it has been paid in full. It is finished. Folks, did you know it's finished? It's finished. It's finished. I mean, think about it. Our relationship with God is not dependent on us. It's not your good works. It's not your righteousness. It is absolutely not your religious faithfulness. No, it is finished. Jesus paid it all. And because Jesus Christ paid it all, our only response to Jesus is surrender all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Why in the world would Jesus do this? The Bible says at that moment, he then breathes his last breath. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it away. Him who is the giver of life dies. Why? Because of his intense, passionate love for you. That's why. In fact, jot this down, this final thing. He died so that we could live. He died so that we could live. See, that's the great exchange. All your list of crimes, all your chains of guilt that you've created in your life, every one of them were placed on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ took the rap. He took the punishment in your place and for your sins. And the only way that you respond to that is what? In faith and surrender. I surrender all. Jesus, I believe you are my God. I surrender my life to you. Let me put it another way. Imagine if you have a king this king learns that somebody is stealing from the royal treasury. And the king makes a declaration. He says that whoever it is who's stealing from the royal treasury, they will be beaten publicly. They'll be scourged. And so a few days later, his soldiers bring in the criminal. She's been caught in the very act. And so he looks down and he sees and change this frail old woman. And the king recognizes her. It's his mother. 
Without a hesitation, he merely condemns her. Strap her to the pole. But then the king does the unthinkable. The king stands up. He removes his royal robes. He sets aside his imperial scepter. He takes off his jeweled crown. And then he goes toward his mother. And he envelops her with his very own body. And then commands that the beating begin. And every blow is now on the king's bare back. And he takes every blow of punishment for the crime that his mother has done. Can I tell you something? That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ has taken your death, taken your blows, taken your hell in your place. How do you respond? The Bible says you respond in faith. What does that mean? That means you trust him with your life. I surrender all. That's it. That's the only act that we have is Jesus. I give my life to you. I surrender to you, Jesus. I surrender all. That is our only response to Jesus Christ. And whenever you respond to God in faith in that way, Jesus, you will be my Lord. In that moment, God does a spiritual transaction. He has Jesus Christ envelop you with himself. And in that moment, Jesus has taken all your punishment and he gives you all of his righteousness. That's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. Now, we all know the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And a lot of us, we hear this story and we go, yeah, I understand that Jesus, you know, he so loved the world. And we think that God did all this for the world in general. No, Jesus did this for you specifically. It wasn't just the world. Jesus did this for you, specifically. In fact, I'd love for you to say this out loud with me. Jesus died for me. Say that with me. Ready? Jesus died for me. Let's say it again. Jesus died for me. What does that mean? That means that beating, it belonged on my back and your back. That crown of thorns, it belonged on your scalp and mine. Those nails, they belonged in my hands and your hands. That cross, that was your cross and my cross. Do you understand? It was my sins that got Jesus crucified. It, 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 was, it was my guilt. It was my rebelliousness. It was my crimes. It was my hard heart. It was me. I crucified Jesus. And it was you Jesus didn't just die by the religious leaders or the Romans. No, you and I crucified Jesus with our sins. Jesus died for us. Why? So that you could go free. So that you could be healed. So that you could live. And that is the passion of Jesus Christ for you. So how do you respond to that? In adoration and worship, I surrender all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin's left a crimson stain. He's washed it as white as snow. You know what's whiter than snow? A forgiven sinner. That's you. Jesus did it all. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. 
You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.